Some of you are in a testing kind of trial season right now, and I would just say, uh, I believe God has prepared you for it. I don't think at all that he has warned you about it. (laughs) I believe he has prepared you for it. I don't think at all that he has warned you for it. God testing his people is a pattern throughout the Bible. In Judges 2 and 3, God tests the Israelites through foreign oppression. In Exodus 15 and 16, we see that God tests his people by bringing, taking water and food away and seeing if they'll listen to his instructions and seeing if they'll do what he asks and follow his rules. Uh, Exodus 16, 4 uh, just captures a bit of this. It says, then the Lord came to Moses. They have no food. Uh, they're starving. The people are grumbling. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, God's going to ask them to pick up just what they need for each day, and on the sixth day, he's going to ask them to keep the seventh day holy and so to pick up enough food for two days on the sixth day. Will they trust him? Will they do just as he has said? Because he, he gives good things to them and they don't follow his instruction those good things are going to take them away from god and they're going to undermine all the future good things that he intends to do for them james 1 is a verse that we've read a number of times and it kind of makes sense of all this it says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Again, it's interesting that we understand that adversity is a catalyst for personal growth. That adversity is a catalyst for growth in a career with a skill set for an athlete and a sports team. You always want your sports teams to have a rough third to fourth quarter of a season because it prepares them for the difficulty of the playoffs and it brings them together. We get this and some. Somehow when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following Jesus, we act as if we want to be spoiled. I remember uh, learning to kneeboard. I don't know if any of you have done that before. No one does it anymore. It's kind of an old, dead sport. Does anybody kneeboard or has kneeboarded? Raise your hand and admit admit it. Nobody told me that you have to let go of the rope when you crash. And admittedly, it's something that most people with common sense think to do. If you're being drugged by the boat through the water and the water's coming in your face and your nose and your eyes, it's not an enjoyable experience and most people are going to naturally let go. But nobody told me to let go when I was learning to kneeboard. And so I vividly remember the experience of being drugged through the water and not being able to see and everything coming fast. Sometimes our tests feel like we're being drugged through the water and water's running into our nose, into our mouth, into our eyes. We can't see and everything is coming fast. If you're there today, I would just say, hold on. Let go of the rope, (laughs) but hold on to the Lord uh, because it's for our good. Uh, Number two this morning, first is God cares enough to bring difficulty, to allow difficulty to people he loves because it grows our faith. Uh, The second point is simply that faith shows itself through obedience. We've waited a long time to use Abraham as our model of obedience. Now we get to chapter 22, 3 through 10. Let's read these verses together. This is 13 messages in the making. So Abraham rose early in the morning 
saddled his donkey and took two of his son or took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to that place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, "Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you." And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son and he took his hand took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes at that moment. You're walking towards the top of that mountain top with all the materials except for the animal for the sacrifice. Your son, who God has told you to sacrifice, looks you in the eye and says, Hey, Dad, and maybe you just finished talking about a little league or something that he was going to build. And his son looks up, makes eye contact with his father, and says, Dad, where is the animal? I'm guessing Abraham couldn't make eye contact. Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And then pause. Do you see where Abraham has, has, has come to in his journey with the Lord? Do you see how far he has come, right? He, in Egypt and with King Abimelech, he was afraid that there was no person fearing God, and so he was afraid for his life, and so, so he lied, so he was deceitful, so he sent his wife even to live with the king. You see that this timid man has really turned a corner. I mean, we're there. We're there with Abraham. Faith is revealed through our obedience, and we see that Abraham's obedience is immediate. It says he rises up early in the morning. His obedience is immediate. Parents, don't you love it when your son or daughter obeys immediately? Ian, our oldest, will ask me with frustration, just bubbling out of him, can you just tell me why? Can you just tell me why when I ask him to do something? And so what's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot wrong with it. The posture of his heart is to say, I'll obey you if it makes sense to me. I'll obey you if the outcome is something I actually want. I'll obey you when I want to. Can you just tell me why as he waits, hoping he'll get what he wants out of me? So he's not obeying at all. It's faithless. It's disobedient from a son to a father it's faithless from us to god and this is how we often interact with god god can you just tell me why and we pause and we wait until we think we get what we want abraham without demanding an answer abraham without demanding clarity abraham without demanding a five point ten step plan rises up early in the morning immediately to do what God has asked. We see that God is a God of second chances, don't we? Despite all of Abraham's baggage, our father calls Abraham into faith, into obedience, into his plan. Faith empowers those with great baggage 
to be part of God's great work. Faith empowers those with great baggage to be part of God's great work. Abraham has a ton of baggage, and we see him turn a corner, and he is going to be a part of God's great work. Uh, Second, faith is revealed not just by immediate obedience, but by even blind obedience. Abraham goes on a journey to do something that makes no sense. Abraham is being told to go to a mountain that God will show him. He doesn't know where he's going to go. He doesn't know why this is happening, and he has no idea what for. How do you do when God directs you to do something and you don't understand why? How do you do when God directs you to do something and you don't understand what the point is? How do you do when God asks you to do something and it's difficult, it's costly, requires you to give something up, requires you to let go of control? Some of you are watching friends or family members in a downward spiral. You don't see what God's doing. Is there a spot in your heart where you trust that God can rescue your son, daughter, family member, friend? Are you filled with despair and grieving the loss and what you see as the trajectory of their life? Is there a blind obedience without seeing the future, trusting that there's a God who does? Maybe you're watching your health or your career or some relationship erode. Is the erosion of that thing that you value so much paralyzing? Or does it cause you to reorient yourself towards God, around God, believing that even though you have no clue what's happening, He does and He's good. Faith is revealed by our immediate obedience, by our blind obedience. Faith is revealed by our complete obedience. Do you have the picture of Abraham up on this platform? Do you have the picture of Abraham with this altar that he's built one stone at a time? How long do you think it took him to build that build that altar? It probably delayed as long as he possibly. Probably took half a day to put those stones together. But he does what God has asked him to do, doesn't he? Not knowing what's next, he completely obeys what God has given to him for today. And so a challenge to us is to trust God for tomorrow and obey completely what he has put before us today. To trust God for tomorrow and to obey completely what he has put before us today. Some of you, like me, uh, really want to think five days, ten days, five years, ten years into the future. If God doesn't show you how things line up, if God doesn't give you a picture of what that looks like, you just halt all action. So I would say that sometimes that pragmatic thinking, that even that long-term planning, will benefit you in some areas of life. I think it can be detrimental to faithful living. I think it can be detrimental to following Jesus. I think it can be detrimental to obeying today and trusting God for tomorrow. Here we see Abraham all the way up to the point where he's holding the knife over his son, obeying completely today with no explanation of why, no sense of if God will intervene or when, obeying completely today and trusting God uh, for his tomorrow. We see that God cares enough to allow 
difficulty in our life to grow our faith. We see that Abraham's faith is revealed in his immediate, his blind, and his complete obedience. The last point for this morning is simply this. Obedience today prepares us for God's tomorrow. What God is doing in your life today prepares you for something that is vital and needed for today and vital and needed for tomorrow. Let's pick back up and read verses 11 through 24. If you still have Genesis 22 open, uh, we're going to read 11 through 24. We'll probably pause after verse 18. Verse 11 says this, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, and it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, surely I will bless you, and I will make, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, as the sand is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And then 19 through 24, they, they gather back together and they go home. If you're in Abraham's shoes, you have got to be thinking in your mind, this seems like a cruel thing of the Lord. And so it's so neat that as Abraham comes out of this test, as the Lord intervenes, stops him from doing harm to his son, that Abraham pauses and offers a sacrifice to the Lord and calls the place place where the Lord will provide. Sometimes as we're going through trials, we think God is cruel and unusual and mean and and petty and how could he and why would he? And so I hope that there's encouragement to see that Abraham is put through the ringer and he doesn't come out begrudging what God has done. He doesn't come out resentful for what God has done. He comes out in awe that he has a provider father, that he has a God who loves him so much to meet his needs, and he calls the place the Lord will provide. I I believe this is a reminder to us that what God is doing in us, even though we can't see where it's leading or what he's doing or even why sometimes, that the outcome of God's testing is vital to the development of our character, to the development of our faith, the development of becoming person that follows, sees, and savors Jesus and helps others to do the same. Verse 12, it says, now, the Lord says, now I know that you fear me. When I first read uh, through the text, I'm thinking, now I know that you fear me. Do you think Abraham was saying, couldn't you just ask? Like, wasn't there a bunch of other ways where you could have just said, hey, Abraham, do you fear me? And I would have said, yes. And this all could have been avoided. Fear of the Lord is equated with one who is righteous. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 1-7. I want just to show us for a second that 
fear of the Lord is a really significant thing. And for God to see it in Abraham and for Abraham to see it himself and to have that tested and to have that be an outcome of a testing is a significant thing for Abraham and a significant thing in our lives too. Proverbs 1, seven says this about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, fools disregard God's work in their life. Fools are inattentive to what he's trying to do, how he's trying to shape, how he's trying to show himself to us, how he's trying to use relationships and circumstances to refine, to restore, to build, to develop, to define our faith. Righteousness is so critical. It postures us to hear from the Lord. It postures us to be blessed. It postures us to be used by Him, to see Him do extraordinary things. It postures us to be people who are pure reflections of Christ in our community. Here's a few things that the Bible says about uh, the righteous. Psalms 5.12 says this, The Lord blesses the righteous and surrounds them like a shield. I want the Lord as a shield. The Bible says, The Lord blesses the righteous and surrounds them like a shield. And so if God is making you righteous, that's a good thing for me. Psalms 27, 21 says that none of the steps of the righteous will slide. Uh, We've all been on a thousand hikes here in Roseburg and Douglas County, and you've probably had your feet slide out from under you at one point. That's how my last cell phone broke. You've probably had your feet slide out from underneath you at some point, and In Psalms, the psalmist says, none of the steps of the righteous shall slide. 1 Peter 3.12 says, the Lord's ears are open to the prayers of the righteous, but his face is set against the wicked. That he hears the prayers of the righteous, but his face is set against the wicked. If God is making me righteous through my circumstances, if he's bringing testing into my life to make me righteous, to instill in me the fear of God that makes me righteous, that's a good thing for me. Matthew 25, 46 says the righteous will one day go to eternal life with the Lord. If there is any good in God, he's going to leverage every situation, every relationship, every circumstances to make me righteous, to develop the fear of the Lord. And so when we see in verse 12 that the Lord says, now I know that you fear me, don't read that as some sort of petty trial. Don't read that as a high school teacher doing a pop quiz to math students just to make their life difficult, right? This is an all-knowing father saying, oh, you are set up for success, my son. You are well positioned for your future because you fear the Lord. Uh, Verse 18 is kind of interesting in this portion of the text. Uh, To date... The promises of God have really not been contingent upon Abraham's uh, performance or obedience or righteousness. And God has said, I'm going to do these things, Abraham. This is going to be something I'm going to do. It's on me. Uh, look Look what God says in verse 18. He says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so there's this really interesting thing going on here. Where God says, these things that I'm going to do, in part, are because you have obeyed my voice. And so we see this kind of mysterious, ambiguous partnership between God and man, partnership between God and Abraham, where the good things God intends to do, in part, involve 
Abraham in part involved his willingness to follow, in part involved his faith to trust and obey. Some of you uh, may recall the text in Exodus 32 where we see God involved Moses in a key decision. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn back to Exodus 32 because I just want to see that there is this pattern from beginning to end in Scripture where God involves his people, even gives his people a voice sometimes into what he's doing. And it's this really dignifying thing whereby an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy God allows us, invites us, involves us in his redemptive work. Exodus 32, Moses, Israelites, they're out in the wilderness. He goes up to the Mount Sinai to get the tablets, to get the Ten Commandments. Up there, God says, Moses, get back down to camp. Go look what they're doing. Fire's coming. I'll read verse 10 and 11 and then jump to 14 of Exodus 32. It says, now therefore let me alone. He's told, Ab- he's told Moses to go down. Now therefore, God says, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. I want to wipe them all out and start over with you, Moses. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He goes on, he says, Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Moses says, Remember Abraham. Remember Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And so it's really hard to draw lines here. It's really hard to say what is our part in God's work, and what is God's part in our work. As you're praying for people that you care about, praying for loved ones, seeing tough health diagnosis, seeing tough career changes, tough financial situations, and you're praying for those you love. What's my part? What's God's part? That is a really fuzzy area, but we see a pattern where God invites his people to participate. God listens to our petitions, and we see patterns where God's people, their prayers, move the hand of God. And so here we see Abraham take a step of obedience And the construction of the promise in Genesis 22, the way that it's worded, reads as the most emphatic, strongest declaration of God's promise to Abraham anywhere in the Genesis narrative. And so we see God look at his son Abraham and say, you did it. (laughs) You did it. High five, slam dunk, whatever, fist bump, you did it. And he comes and he says, I swear by myself, because you have done this, I'm going to do all these things for you. It's interesting that as we think about even salvation, we have a part to play, right? John 3, 16, um, whoever believes, so we need to believe, right? Uh, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We've got to confess, we've got to believe, but who gets the credit? We don't get the credit, right? It, it, it's a work that God initiated through the Son, 
on our behalf to pay a penalty that we couldn't play. It's not like we get credit for that or something. It's not like we deserve an, an attaboy. There's this really cool thing in Scripture where we are invited to participate, invited and even commanded to obey, believing and knowing that our actions matter to God and at times move and direct His hand, all the while under the umbrella of this surrendered posture where we trust that he's involved, that when we can't see it, he's there. When it makes no sense, he's there. When it looks like it's ten steps backwards, he's there. When Abraham's hand is above his son with his knife, when the servants are asking Abraham, where are you going? We're going to go, and then we are going to return to you. That he's there. And so if there's encouragement from the story of Abraham, that in spite of our past, in spite of our transgressions, don't let your past cause you to opt out of God's today for you. Don't let your past cause you to opt out of God's future. If there's testing and there's trials in your life right now, and drawing a line between what is a test that God has brought in and what is just a function of us being stupid, what is a function of just a broken world, uh, that is a hard line to draw But I think it serves us well to assume that God is involved with all of it. He certainly has power to prohibit anything he wants. So at minimum, we can say he has allowed it. And for some of us, that's a crushing thought, that he has allowed something into our lives. And we say, how could that God be good? Uh, But I hope that as we would consider the fact that if we believe God is all-powerful, we have to believe that he could have prohibited, could have protected us from some of the difficult things in our life. And then rather than causing us to say, he clearly doesn't care, he clearly isn't good, that we would pause and go, oh wow. So even in the worst moments of my life, even in the greatest pain and suffering that I have experienced, God is present. And so as Abraham's hand is lifted up over his son Isaac, He discovers that God is present. He says, on this place, this is the place where the Lord provides. You think about Psalms 23, uh, where David says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I want to say I will fear no evil, but you know where I don't want to go? The valley of the shadow of death, right? I want all the good from Psalms 23, none of the lessons, none of the life experiences that it takes to get there. So if you're here today and you're saying, man, I am right in the thick of the test. I am being dragged by the boat through the water. I must have incredible strength in my hands because I've been holding on for way too long uh, to that rope. I would say maybe God's testing is to cause you to discover that your way doesn't work and his way does. I might ask you to consider maybe his testing is to open your eyes to some aspect of your character that is going to be transformed. It's going to change who you are, your relationships with other people. Uh, But I would say that your obedience today will prepare you for the tomorrow that he has for you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for faith this morning um, because we have a laundry list of things that don't make sense. Lord, we ask to see evidence of you at work because we have a laundry list of places where we can't see it. 
So, Lord, would you make us attentive to your movement in our life? Would you make us attentive to your voice, attentive to your actions, attentive to your testing, attention, attentive to the way that you're using people and circumstances to make us righteous, to develop the fear of God in us, believing, Lord, that that positions us well to be used by you in ways that will blow our minds. Lord, to see and to savor Jesus in ways that will give us that capacity, as David says in Psalms 23, to fear no evil. Lord, for those who are at the trough right now, the bottom point, the valley of that testing, may the story of Abraham fill them with hope. Lord, for some of us that are in the middle right now, kind of in and out of testing, but maybe nothing all that dramatic. Lord, may our prayer be, Lord, open our eyes to your work. Do your work. Make me righteous. Give me that fear of the Lord. Lord, may that be our heart's desire. Not simply, Lord, will you get me through this? Lord, uh, teach us to trust. Show us what it looks like to obey today and to trust you for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray.